You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Come on back in. Come on back in. Grab a seat. We are going to get started again. I love how we love each other in this church. It's awesome. If you, uh, if you have a child, you can go ahead and, and uh, take your child to Kids Kingdom at this time. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. We're going to do something a little different. I know we, uh, we are creatures of habit, and so you think, oh, we got more songs. We are going to do more songs, but not right now. So go ahead and have a seat. We're creatures of habit, I know. You're like, wait, what? Wait, what? Have a seat. We're going to jump right into the sermon today. I know. It's like, is that in the Bible? Can you do the sermon that early? And uh, it is not so that we catch people coming in late to church that thought they had more songs. That's not why we're doing it. If, if people come in late, I would just smile and good to see you, brother. You know, good to see you, sister. Uh, actually, I was, uh, I was on sabbatical, uh, my wife and I, for about three months, and Easter... I won't say who made us late, but some people in our household made us really late. And we went to the Long Beach service, but it was so fun to be late to church. Don't tell Steve I said that, because, you know, we're not supposed to support that kind of thing. But I actually, because <laughs> I'm always here at like 730, 8 o'clock. It was like, this is really kind of fun, you know, hanging out in the lobby, talking to people. But I do appreciate all you guys who come on time. So uh, we're going to be continuing a series today called... Uh, Citizens of Heaven, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that up there so you see the, the we talk, started talking about this last week, I wanted to share a quick story here to, to, to kind of set this up, so this week, a couple days ago, I had a Zoom call meeting, and um, don't be mad at me because I said the word Zoom, some of you guys, I know, uh, you know, uh, it was somebody in Colorado we had to, to, to meet on Zoom, and um, uh, you know, I, I, it was getting ready for the meeting to start, and um, I get on Zoom, I, I try to open the, the, the room, and it says, due to some activity or something, you have been locked out, and you need this code. And the code that you needed was for an email address that I had no access to, because it's like an email address, I don't even know who has access to this email. And so I couldn't get into the Zoom, so I couldn't get my meeting going, so I couldn't meet with this, this person. And we were going to record this uh, Zoom meeting uh, for a podcast and stuff, so I was trying to get it all set up. And it was, I, I started to feel panicked, and then I started to feel angry. And I'm, lear, I'm learning through this emotionally healthy spirituality uh, course that we all went through, just to kind of, when, when you have emotion like that, just to stop and, and be curious, right? And kind of go, that's curious. I'm angry right now. I mean, I was angry enough to, like, not, like, smash a wall, but, like, grab a pencil and break it, maybe. You know what I mean? That's, like, some serious anger. And I'm like, why am I so angry? I mean, this, this person I meet, it's not like I have an appointment scheduled with Jay-Z or something. You know, like, this is just my friend. I can just tell him, hey, we can't meet because I can't get in and we'll meet. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal, but I'm angry all of a sudden. And what I recognize is that, well, I think what made, makes me angry, and, and so I, I kind of took a breath. It's not a big deal. It made myself smile, you know? <sighs> Take a breath. That's all fine. It's not a big deal, Brian. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's not a big deal. But I, I recognize that I like control. Surely not. 
I like having control. Anybody else here like having control? And so I think why I was angry is because I have no control. I can't, I can't get that code that you want me to get because I don't have access to that dumb email address, you know? And, uh, and so what I, what I realized is that we, we all, this is the world we live in. There's chaos, there's uncertainty, uh, and, and a lot of times we don't have control. And so there's this impulse in all of us to want to seize control. And that impulse is what leads to something I'm going to call empire, this idea to dominate or control or to, to, to be able to, to um, you know, not be subject to the chaos, but to s- somehow have control. And maybe it's even just an illusion of control, but we want control because of fear and uncertainty. And so th- there's these two ways that we can operate in the world that are at play throughout the scriptures. And last week we read this, um, this verse. So th- I'm going to read this verse again. This is God talking to his people. He's just brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And he says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God had called his people out of slavery in Egypt and, and brought them to Sinai. They spent a whole year there building this culture, building a nation, setting up his people. Um, and there, there's a, an alternative society that he wants to create, his, a, a different kind of kingdom, in contrast to Pharaoh and Egypt. Pharaoh, at the time, was the most powerful person in the world. And the, the kingdom of, Israel, of Egypt, the, the, the empire of Egypt, was the most powerful force on earth. And so to, for even God to set himself up against Pharaoh in the way he did with the plagues and everything, it's this amazing cosmic kind of contest. Because Pharaoh thought he was, uh, and the people thought he was a god. That he was, here. This is, this is like the gods have sent a representative and he is our mediator. And he is our priest. He's the way that we have contact with the gods. And God is saying, no, I'm going to be in your midst, and you are going to be a kingdom of priests. So you are all going to be like Pharaoh. You are all going to be representatives to all the nations. It's a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of being in the world. And so where their, their, their life and their identity had, had been about what they did, and, and, their, and they were just kind of a cog in the wheel as slaves in Egypt, now he gives them, he says, you're going to be a treasured possession. And you're going to be a a kingdom of priests, this holy nation. You're going to be special. That's the kind of kingdom that God was trying to set up. And and so there's this this confrontation happens between empire and this kingdom, this kingdom of peace, this kingdom of shalom. And and, and that that saga continues. I just want to tell you the story a little bit of, of, of kind of what happened from there. Um, so so the, the, the people are, are, are led by Moses for a while, then they're led by Joshua into the promised land, and they're trying to establish this nation. And there's, there's a lot of chaos that ensues. There's different judges that raise up. One of them is Samuel. And, and so this is, uh, you know, fast forward a few hundred years, you have uh, this, First uh, Samuel 8, you have a text in First Samuel 8. I want to actually read a lot of this, so let's turn there if you can on your phone or in your paper, Bible, or whatever you have there. Because I think you're going to see this ongoing struggle between empire and God's kingdom, God's rule, God's, God's shalom that he brings. Uh, as we open this, uh, this text here, let's just say another prayer. God, thank you to be able to read your word. 
Uh, thank you for what an amazing thing it is that it's passed on to us, that we can read these holy scriptures and uh, we can get a glimpse into uh, what, people, what your people were like back then. And, and, and I pray that you would give to us the lessons you want us to take from this text in our modern time. I pray that you speak through your word to all of us. And I, I know your Holy Spirit is here. And God, I pray he leads us and leads our thoughts and help us to kind of set aside all the distractions that might be in our minds right now and just listen to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Okay, so 1 Samuel 8, it says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The names of his first, name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders gathered together and came to Samat Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so now they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the the king who reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves, give them to his his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks. You yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everybody go back to your own town. This is an interesting story. And, and you see, you know, uh, you see, first of all, these sons of, of Samuel, they, they, they uh, it says they turn after dishonest gain, they accept bribes, they perverted justice. They're trying to control things, right? They're not trusting. They're not, uh, you know, kind of going with God's flow. They're trying to control things by even doing that, trying to manipulate things. But, you, but, but God is recalling this story of, of kind of back and forth with his people. They keep, they keep not trusting him. You know, they're in the desert and, and they have to trust him with manna. They have to trust him with water. They have to trust him they, they keep wanting to go back to Egypt, remember? They're like, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I mean, that happens again and again. Why would they want to go back to slavery in Egypt? Because it's at least a, a situation that they know the outcome, right? It's, it's at least kind of... And, and they've, they've done some excavation in Egypt and found these different... They're kind of like little apartments where the, the workers would live. And they would get their... You know, they would be fed. They had 
uh, they were, had shelter, they had a place to live. It, it, it was like, it's a horrible life, but at least it's a life I know, you know what I mean? And, and, and so it, it's a, a certain future. And, and so that's what, because of the uncertainty, because of the fear, they kept wanting to go back to Egypt. And here, Samuel is warning them what will happen if they have a king, if they, if they bring empire into the kingdom, and he's going to do this, he's going to do that, and he's going to take your, your boys, he's going to take your girls, he's going to take all your stuff, he's, he's going to make you his slave. And they still want a king. Why, why is that? Let, let's, I just want to take a few answers here. Why do, you, why do they want a king so bad? Yeah. The other nations had a king. Yeah, they said it explicitly. Yeah. They were scared of, uh, we're different. We don't like doing it this way. It's different. Yeah. They wanted to belong to the world. They wanted to belong to the world. Yeah. Fred. Yeah. Something visible, tangible leader. Because God is, Yahweh is this invisible God that dwells in their midst, right? That's a, a little bit harder. Calvin. The enemy you know feels better than the one you don't know. Yeah, all good answers. Yeah, last one, Mark. They probably did. Yeah, even he's saying that, and, and as parents, we know that, well, this is what's going to happen. This was going to, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I still want it. I still want it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but but, but they, they wanted to be like the nations around them. They wanted to, to follow this impulse of empire. They wanted to be like the other people. They wanted they, to be like the world. And it's interesting that God even accommodates them. He says, okay, I'm going to try to still work with you, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. See, the plan was for God to always be our king. But, but we, we, we choose these lesser alternatives sometimes. And, and it talks in there about horses and chariots. And, and so there's this battle that goes on from there between these impulses, the impulse of empire and and. and Trusting in things that we can see and control or the kingdom of God, which requires you to have faith and surrender and trust. And you don't always know, you know, it's God's uncertain plan. There's that battle. And don't we all feel still that same battle? And you see that acted out in scripture. You know, maybe this king will be good and then he's bad. Maybe this king will be good. He's bad. You know, and and the prophets are trying to speak to them, direct people back to Yahweh. But the king sees power for themselves and they take and they, 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 they pillage. And, and so the, the, there's this ongoing struggle that we see, I feel like we see it even in our church. We, see, we feel it in our society. You know, this, 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 this tension between uh, what I can see and, and trusting in, you know, systems or in structures or, or wanting to, you know, dominate or wanting control and then just having to surrender and trust God. You know, there's that ongoing struggle. And you see it in a lot of the, the scriptures. I want to uh, show you this one verse. It says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20. Chariots and horses were the, the kind of expression of this human dominance, of empire dominance, the, these weapons of technology. Isaiah 31, hundreds of years later, says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust the multitude of chariots and the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. And so a lot of times, even these kings who come into power in in Israel's history, they would want to make an alliance with the king of Egypt 
or the king of Assyria, or they would want to become this vassal state so that they could have, again, security, they thought, perceived control. And so they, there's always this appeal from the prophets, don't trust in horses, don't trust in chariots, don't go down to Egypt, don't, listen, don't trust in Assyria. You've got to trust in God, trust in the Lord. And this finally comes to a head where, uh, you know, these different empires reign. You have Assyria, you have uh, up in the north, you have Egypt in the south, and then Assyria wipes out the northern part of, of Israel. And then following Assyria, Assyria, you have the Babylonians, and the Babylonians take the remaining, remaining tribe of, of Israel, Judah, into captivity. We know that story. And so God allows them to, to, to basically be swallowed up by empire in order to, the, the prophets say, in order to, to preserve a remnant, in order to purify Israel in order to make a people who are, are, are going to be able to continue to be used by him to be that kingdom of priests, that holy nation that he had in mind. And uh, he, he says as they're on their way to exile, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, maybe next to John 3.16, Jeremiah 29.11. What does it say? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you what? Hope and a future. We love that verse, right? We like to claim it for ourselves, and, and I think that's appropriate, but its original context is on their way to exile. They're being carried off. I mean, picture a, 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 some army that invades us, invades Torrance, or invades Lomita, or invades San Pedro, and carries you and all your possessions off. What would that feel like? And God is saying on your way, you've got to go along with it. This is the plan now. For 70 years, this is the plan. And so when you're there... Build, build houses, plant vineyards, take wives, you know, because you're going to be there 70 years. And that, but the plan is still there. I still have plans to prosper. You still have plans, but you got to go through this difficult time. And so sometimes we go through times like that where God is trying to kind of squeeze the empire out of us. Because it only took a few days to bring his people out of empire. But it's taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and generations to try to get empire out of his people. And I think it's something he's still trying to do. I think it's something he's still trying to do. And so the, the prophets are always pointing to this alternative kingdom, this different way of being in the world. And a Messiah, a king, who would be different than these, these worldly kings. And uh, here's a great example of that in Zechariah. This is one of the <clears throat> last uh, prophets uh, to write in the, in the Old Testament. And he's looking forward to this Messiah who's going to come. And he says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. All right, we get a, we get, we get a king because we're, we're subject to these different nations. At this point, Persia was in charge. So it was Assyria and then Babylon and now Persia. And he's saying, you're, you're going to have a, this future king. And he's going to be righteous. He's going to be victorious. He's going to have victory in battle. Then how does it describe this king? Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, like a, a baby donkey? What? That, that, doesn't, that does not compute. That's not the horses and chariots and power. It's like, this is an ironic image. It's supposed to shock, you know, the, in, the, in the, the, the near, ancient Near Eastern civilization, that's kind of a shock. Wait, What? That's, that's the, it, it's kind of like if you said, you said it's going to be the greatest leader of America and he's going to be the homeless dude in the, in, living in a box. You know what I mean? Like, 
It's just this, wait, what? Uh, on a cold, the foal of donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace. The Hebrew there is shalom to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So it's this weird dichotomy. He's lowly. He's riding on a donkey. He gets rid of all the weapons and gets rid of all the chariots, get rid of all the war horses, and yet it says his rule will extend from sea to sea like he will have the greatest kingdom ever. Wow, that's weird, right? That, that, that this future Messiah vision that Zechariah had is kind of weird to their mindset. And this idea of shalom is something, again, that's throughout the Old Testament. Uh, some of us listen to the Bema podcast. He talks a lot on there about shalom and empire versus shalom. And uh, this word, this Hebrew word, according to Strong's Concordance, uh, the, which is, uh, you know, he does Hebrew word searches, word research. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, per- perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, and the absence of agitation or discord. Shalom comes from the root verb shalom, meaning to be complete, perfect, and full. Boy, I love that description. How about you guys? I mean, it's rest. It's a cool drink of water. It's a peaceful stream. It's, you know, there's these images of you have this little nice hut beside your vineyard. You know, it's kind of like, what's that? What's where all the hobbits live? The Shire. You know, it's just, ah, shalom. Don't you see a contrast between this and the kingdoms of the world? What a contrast. Uh, so, so, so fast forward a few hundred years, and, and you have the, the Babylonians. I said the Babylonians, then the Persians. Then who's after the Persians? The Greeks. Who's after the Greeks? The Romans. And each empire gets more powerful and more, and more vast and, and more expansive. And, uh, and, and, and Rome is, and, and it starts with the Greeks, Hellenization. They're, they're not just, some of these empires before, like the Persians would let you go back and like they even funded the, some of the God's people to go back and build another temple. And they were fine with people keeping their culture. The Greeks, no. Part of the Greek thing is, and, and this was with Alexander the Great, is he, he was instituting this cultural, like, like we're going to force people to a different culture. You have to conform to a whole new culture, a whole new way of thinking with humanity at the top. And, and, and Rome follows on that. It, it kind of keeps the Greek culture and adds even more uh, military strength. And, and, and Rome, we look at Rome as sometimes kind of evil and, and, and this you know, powerful empire in a negative way. But you got to, and that's because we've, we've read the Bible a lot, and we've read prophets, and we've, you know, been in church a lot. We kind of think of Rome negatively. Rome was seen by the people in Rome as amazing. Yeah. I mean, they built all the, they built these roads, they built aquifers, they, they had peace, Pax Romana, they had, you know, uh, prosperity. It was like, this is incredible. We love being Romans. We love being citizens of Rome. There has been no other nation on earth as awesome as this nation. Like, that's just how it felt to be Roman. And I think that's important because, because we, you know, we, a lot of us feel that way about whatever our culture is, whatever country we're in. I don't think it's wrong to be 
positive about your country. But, but Romans, they loved Rome. And they loved the power. And, and so Israel was kind of caught in the middle of that. And what they did is the people who held power, the Sadducees, and there's a whole story of how they kind of got into power, the, the Maccabean revolt and this period in between the Testaments. But they had power, and so they made a deal with a guy named Herod. This guy named Herod, uh, he was the, Herod Antipas, he was the head of the spice trade. He was incredibly wealthy. And they made this deal, hey, if you'll come and be our king, because you're half Jew, he's an Idumean uh, rich, rich guy. He says, if you be our king, we'll let you, we'll let you be our king. We get your, kinda, your, your help and your money, and you be our king. So they, they made this arrangement. And so, so Herod's son was Herod the Great, inherited all this wealth in the spice trade, uh, Ray Vanderland, a, a, a Bible teacher, kind of scholar in, in Old Testament stuff, he's, and, and New Testament stuff, he says that, let me make sure I get this right. He says that Herod the Great was the richest man ever. He was a, his net worth was 100 times more than the national GDP of Israel. So he has 100 times more wealth than the whole country he's the king of. And, and, and uh, you know, if, if these ancient records are true, he was the most richest man that ever lived. And he just, I mean, he made everything big. He made everything beautiful. He made everything awesome. He, was just, he just had all this money at his disposal. And so he, he took that second temple and he built it way, way bigger and way better and huge. He, he used these stones that they still don't know how he used those. Do you know what I mean? They still don't know how did he move those stones or how did he, how did he do this stuff. There's still technology he used that we haven't figured out how he even did it because he didn't keep records because he wanted it to, to be secret. This is his own technique or whatever, the Herod, the Herod way of doing it. There was this, he wanted a, a and he had extra palaces because he was incredibly uh, paranoid yeah. and, and always worried about, you know, because when you're in a, in a worldly position of power like that, the, the Caesars, the kings, we know the stories of these kings, right? There's always somebody waiting behind the next uh, corner to, to try to stab him and take control. You know, like there's always people vying. They want to steal his spot. And so it, you become incredibly paranoid. And he was incredibly consumed with paranoia. So he had these different palaces. He had like extra palaces he could go to just in case there was a threat. Oh, I'm going to go hang out in that palace. I mean, in the desert, like, like Masada was this huge palace just built in the desert in the middle of nowhere and and the 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 biggest cisterns in the ancient world were were there five of the biggest cisterns in the ancient world were all at masada where he he could hold all the water so he could have a whole alternative little society there in the desert at masada he had this one uh uh palace called the herodium where he wanted a palace on a mountain and there wasn't a mountain where he wanted it so he built a mountain there So I, I want a mountain. I, I want it to look like this. So they build a mountain, built the palace on top of it. It's called the Herodium. I mean, this guy was the, the, the most powerful man ever to have walked the earth. And you know where Jesus was born? In the shadow of Herodian. In the shadow of that mountain. In, in this little town of Bethlehem. This little village for shepherds. That was David's village he came from. David was really lowly, Right? comes from this little shepherd town and because of the census Jesus' family who's a impoverished poor Jewish family they've got to travel 100 miles while she's nine months pregnant 
down to Bethlehem. Because of the, uh, of the census, there's nowhere for them to stay, so they got to stay. We all know the Christmas story, right? They got to stay with the animals. And Jesus is born and put in this feeding trough in the shadow of Herodian, right under his nose. Isn't that amazing like, that God chose to come to the earth that way? You know, the God of the universe is going to become a human, and, and he, it's just like in your face, Herod. You know what I mean, in a way? And Herod is, is so crazy, he even ha- he hears about this. He has all these children killed. We know that story, the baby boys uh, uh, murdered. Uh, but that's where Jesus was born. Ray Vanderland says, The subversive nature of God's plan is that he will send his son to be born in the shadow of the palace of the greatest man to walk human soil. I think it, it brings into focus this contrast between empire and the kingdom of God. Yeah. Right there, happening right there in the shadow of the greatest power on earth. And, 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 and I want to talk about Caesar for a minute. Uh, this is an inscription that was found on an old government building dating to 6 BC. Can all you guys read that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's what it says. Uh, it says, the most divine Caesar, we, could, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending towards disillusion, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura, Caesar, the common good fortune of all. The beginning of life and vitality, all the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has relegated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order, and whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. Euangelion, that's where the word gospel, right? The gospel concerning him. And there's language in here, you don't realize that It gets stolen and used by the church. The gospel, the good news, the the, the son of God, the divine. You know, this is like, here's these worldly, uh, (coughs) excuse me, worldly powers trying to claim something that only can belong to God. And and I want to show you some of this language. It's interesting. Uh, I'll throw it on the screen here. Like, these are different. This is all imperial language that was used. Uh, in, in, uh, in ancient times prior to the kingdom, prior to Jesus and, and the ch- early church. Uh, so Basilia, empire or kingdom, this is a term that Jesus used a lot. But it was a term used for the Roman Empire and Caesar at its head, this, this term of, of empire or kingdom. Gospel, or as I mentioned, euangelion, the good news, an imperial pronouncement usually accompanied by flags and political ceremony that an heir to the empire's throne had been born or that a distant battle had been won. So that was the ancient use of that word gospel. Christ, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, known to the Romans as the name Jews used for their ruler, anointed by God and the people. The king of the Jews' job title had already been granted to Herod, hence the problem when Jesus was also considered to be king of the Jews, only one person at a time can fit on, the, on a throne. And, and, and this, this title means anointed, the, the the Christ anointed or dipped, 
dripped on by the gods in, in a Roman sense. The son of God, this was a popular title for kings and emperors. It was the name taken up by Alexander the Great, who was the Greek leader, and also uh, the term king of kings. Uh, Octavian, known as Augustus, also used that term, uh, son of God. Ecclesia, this is uh, that term ecclesia, a local public assembly within the greater Roman Empire, much like a town meeting. These assemblies bestowed citizenship, discussed local political concerns, assigned elders, and offered prayers and worship to Caesar. There was no separation of religion, uh, cultic sacrifices, etc., and secular political business. So that word ecclesia is the word in the Bible that's translated what? Church, right? So you, they use that, again, the first century Christians and, and Jesus and his followers just pull all these words and they make them subject to the true king. Savior uh, up there, or, or Soter, literally healer or preserver. Caesar Augustus as savior, and again, that text we just read was seen as the one who healed the chaos of Rome and brought it to a new golden age. Faith, I didn't know this one. Faith is a term that was an imperial term. It was a term used for trust in, allegiance to, hope in the Pax Romana. It had much to do with loyalty as with a faithful husband. Husband, That Greek word pistos was an imperial term. Lord, Kyrios, uh, that was a name for a ruler, particularly a supreme ruler. Emmanuel, or uh, in, in Greek, duos presens, the manifestation of the presence and will of the God, a title claimed by emperors like Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, and Domitian. Those are Greek emperors. So they had this idea of God with us that was a Greek idea that was kind of stolen from, from the kingdom. Worship, uh, or proskinesis, a practice involving the art of prostration or bowing in submission before a ruler or emperor, an act of submission. Do you see how Jesus and his followers subverted these terms and put them back in their rightful place? Because I think Satan's number one way of neutralizing the advancement of the kingdom is to sneak empire back into his people. Time and time again, you see that sneaking back in. You see it in the church. I've seen it in my own heart. I've seen it in my own ministry where I want control. Uh, I trust human methods. I, you know, I lead out of fear or I lead out of, uh, you know, wanting secure results or whatever it is, instead of trusting God and letting go and being surrendered and trusting whatever he's doing in the world, trusting Jesus as my king. It's a different way. And, and so there's, there's submitting, submitting to, I got to submit to the worldly powers, but there's also a subversive, Jesus is really my king. You know, I really believe it is possible to both Submit, like submit to the governing authorities, as, as, as Romans 13 says, but also subvert. I mean, the whole book of Romans, Paul is quietly, gently subverting Rome while still saying, you gotta, still got to follow the law, though. And so as people, as citizens of heaven, we, we are putting things back in, its, in their rightful place. We're putting all these terms back to where they're supposed to be. And we're a part of that kingdom, that, that, that gentle... Uh, king riding on a donkey. He fulfilled that text. You know that? When did he do that? Palm Sunday, right? He rode in on a donkey, like literally enacted that verse. And so he's claiming that right, the Messiah, this different kind of king, this different kind of ruler, this different kind of being in the world. And, and Jesus' teachings is all about subverting 
Roman values and, and empire values and saying, no, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the nobodies. The first will be last and the last will be first. Look at, he's looking to examples like little kids or the Samaritan woman or this prostitute who's anointing his, his feet with a broken alabaster jar that she used in her trade. And he's saying, look at that faith. I mean, he's like elevating the lowly and, and the, the marginalized. And, and it, you know, it's a different kind of kingdom. And, and, he, and he, he, the way that we pray for our enemies, the way that we treat other people, it's so different. And, and, I, and I, I know we know that, but it's so easy for the worldly things, stuff to sneak back into our thinking. You know, and, and I'm afraid some of us, it's kind of like, yeah, we're here on Sunday, we're disciples, but then we go to work, and it's like, well, I'm at work, though. Do you know what I mean? I got to kind of put on my work worldview. And I really think that we are called not, we're called to be disciples everywhere. We're called to to bring this kingdom, to bring this shalom to our work, to our schools, to even the 405. Do you know what I mean? I think so. I think we are called even, even driving on the west side. Even if you have to drive on the west side, I know we got some west siders here, to bring shalom to the streets of the west, to La Cienega Boulevard, bringing shalom. I really believe that. And I I confessed my sin a few years ago about this, because in traffic, I was sinning. And I called someone an a-hole, but the whole word, I mean, in my car. You know, I'm like, there's something wrong with me as a minister calling someone that. That's dark. And, and Karina's mocked me for this ever since. I said, I didn't flip the bird, but I flipped the inner bird. <laughs> it's like in my heart, it's like, mm. And I was just having so much stress on the freeway, and I, I had to drive to Pepperdine for four years, so I'm going through the west side. And I'm, but I really, I, I really repented of this. I was like, I'm going to go so early that it doesn't matter, and I'm just going to enjoy my ride. And I learned to just so enjoy driving on the freeway and driving through the... I mean, driving through Malibu, it's like there's the ocean. Before, I was just, you know how you're trying to get around this person, and you're trying to get around that person, and, and somebody cuts you off, and then you're mad. And it's like, this, I don't need this, you know? And so I learned to just enjoy, listen to podcasts, listen to music. I'm like, I, I try to picture it as like I'm on a tour, like I'm on a ride at Disneyland, just watching the things go by. And I'm, I'm just stuck in traffic. That's all right. I'm just looking at stuff. And, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> But, but, but you, I know you have things in your life. I know you have situations in your life, and I know traffic's kind of silly. And I, I got to come up with stuff, because I work, I get to work with all of you wonderful people. Like, you guys got to go and work with people of the darkness in a lot of cases. I get to work with children of the light. So my job is awesome. Uh, amen. I love it. I love it. And so I, I know it's hard. I, I had a career, I, you know, I had a six-year career in an office, and I know what it's like, and, you know, people are cutting corners, and people are getting ahead, and there's that feeling, if I live the way of Jesus, I'm going to be left in the dust, because I see these other people, and they're cutting corners, or they're, they're using deceit, or they're, they're doing things to step on other people, and they're getting ahead, and I, I can't, I got I to keep up, I got I to gotta keep up. So I want to talk about four quick things here as we wrap up here. Uh, that we can do, I think, in our cultural context. Number one, lifting up Jesus. 
What does it mean to lift up Jesus wherever you are and whatever you are doing? You know, in your, in your neighborhood, at your school, in your work environment, you know, it might not be going over to your neighbor's cubicle and going, hey, I just want to lift up Jesus. Do you know the Savior? You know what I mean? That might not be the right cultural context. But I guarantee there's some way you can lift up Jesus. There has to be some way in your work environment you can lift up Jesus. Uh, you know, I, I, just one quick example. Like I, I, my old job, I was telling you about. I had a sales manager. He got way ahead by cutting corners. He he would he would take calls and 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 sh- send them off to other people so he could kind of get ahead on these sales things. And and he would work long, 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 long hours. He worked such long hours that both of his wrists got carpal tunnel. So then he's just on on his headset. This is a call center. I'm doing sales. He's on a call center, and there's this lovely young maiden, you know, working on his, uh, on his thing for him while he's just sitting back there like Pharaoh, you know. And uh, that's how he got ahead, you know, he got ahead. And so then he, he became sales manager, and he was my manager now, and, and uh, his name was Reza. And he called me in to talk about my numbers and where they were at. And I was trying to do a great job, but so he's trying to motivate me by going, you know, look at this car I just bought. He just bought the that, that Mercedes, you know, the one that had the, like, it looked like gills on the side, the really cool Mercedes. This is back in the 90s, but anyways, he bought this Mercedes. He bought a new a condo in Hermosa. He, he, he's, like, living the dream. He's, like, don't you want this stuff? Like, this is what you can have if you just, and I was just, like, let me just stop you right there, Reza. You know, I'm, like, I am a follower of Jesus, and I, the, Jesus teaches, or the Bible teaches, that I should be an awesome employee because I'm doing it as though doing it for the Lord. So I want to be a great employee because this is, my, this is my, my worship to God is by doing a great job. But I'm not motivated by that stuff. In fact, that stuff kind of sucks my heart and, and leads me into the wrong direction. And he didn't know what to do with that. He's just kind of like... Uh, but I know, there's, I know there's situations where you can subvert empire and lift up Jesus in your environment. Number two, how we treat others. The empire says that people are disposable. People are expendable. They don't really matter. But the Jesus community says every person matters. Not only every person, the least of these matters the most. Jesus says, however you treat the least of these is how you treat me. He doesn't say how you treat the leaders or how you treat the popular people or how you treat the people who are easy to get along with. Whoever's the least of these is how you treat me, Jesus says. That's an upside-down way of viewing people. And so, you know, having forgiveness, not carrying around bitterness, working things out, these are all, I'm out of time, so i got to just move on. But I I picture a community, you know how everybody is after a natural disaster? And everybody's just, that's the kingdom. Like, that's, it just doesn't stay. But that's who we should be all the time, the way we treat people. Recognize the people when they do a great job. I've been trying to do this lately. Like, hey, you know, stopping somebody who's doing their job. You did an awesome job with this. I saw, I stopped this woman at Starbucks. The way you treated that homeless man and you gave respect and you, you respected his humanity with dignity, that is awesome. And she was like, oh, she started to like almost cry. Like, oh my gosh, somebody recognized what I did. You know, like just treating other people differently. What we create. We are here to bring beauty and art and, and, and goodness and to whatever it is that we do. And I'll talk about that more next week because uh, that's it's good stuff. And then who are we becoming? It's not so much what will you do, but who will you become? Not just what you will do, but who will you become? And, I, and I'm, I've got way more stuff I'm going to talk about next week. Here's some discussion questions for this week, and I will send these out so that you can meet in your group. 
But remembering Jesus, and I'm going to share this with you on video. I'm going to share on video a con- Oh, you wanted it back? I heard like a, oh. I'll send that over um, over. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.